one of our church planters in Guatemala messaged us um, yesterday uh, and conveyed to us some things that are going on with he and his family up in his church up in the hills. And I want to share with you because I want you to pray for them. His name is Matilde. And his mother has been diagnosed with some pretty severe illnesses. Uh, the treatment is uh, haphazard at best. Um, she's in great need. And just recently, his wife has been diagnosed with four different things going on uh, in her system, in her spine, in her organs that are very uh, profoundly difficult. Uh, and again, uh, not much in the way of medical aid up in the hills. And there's a woman in their church, godly woman, uh, who was just in the last couple days beaten and raped up in the hills. Uh, and there really is no recourse as far as um, uh, justice. And when we live in a kingdom that is very dark and very broken, uh, we're forced to wrestle with why. I'm drawn to John 16, in the Bible. And the Bible says, Jesus' words, in this world you will have trouble. Because right now it's a pretty dark place at times. But he says, take heart, because I've overcome the world. My dominion and my kingdom is breaking in. Different times and places, and not in its fullness yet, but it is. And so be at peace, because I've overcome. As you study scripture, understand that God is profoundly sovereign but that we live in sometimes a very dark and broken world. And we live in the juxtaposition between these two kingdoms. Understanding the world in which we live and understanding that there is a greater kingdom that is beginning to break through. And so while we wrestle with the pain of this world that we're in right now, we also look forward with hope to God's kingdom coming through in totality. And so in the meantime, we have to rely on a peace that passes our understanding with prayer that God's kingdom would begin to show up more and more through his people. And so on behalf of our friend Matilde, I want you to pray with me. God, I thank you for the eternal words of truth that affirm the fact that in this world we will have trouble because it is a broken and fallen and evil place. I thank you for the greater truth that you've overcome it. And as a sign and manifestation of your dominion, we pray in the name of Jesus that you bring healing to Matilde's mom and to his wife. Oftentimes when we are without external help, 
We're forced to rely on you, and this is one of those times. And so, Father, in the absence of every other thing that man would look to for help, we look only to you and ask by the strong name of Jesus and the authority of your dominion that you would step in. And for this dear woman, Father, my words fail to understand how to pray for her. So God, be God in her life, in her heart, in her emotions, her mind, in her body. We trust that your justice will come in places of injustice. And we trust that your healing will come in places of brokenness. And we commit this woman and her family to you. Father, I ask that you would use this church to be your avenue and your venue through which your kingdom is manifested. That you would show up in ways that only you can show up and you would do it through our church. Thank you for putting us in a position to come alongside Matilde, his family, and his church. Help us use our position and resources well for your kingdom's sake. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you. Put Matilde on your, if you're a praying person, put him on your prayer list and his family and his church. I want to let you into a little bit of uh, my world and my devotional life. I, I was, I was uh, struck yesterday. has nothing to do really that much with Mark no, uh, chapter 3, but I, I got to give this. This is a freebie for you. You don't got to pay for this one. Uh, I, I was looking at, uh, at, at, uh, at Psalm 23, and, and that's, a, that's a passage that a lot of people know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down and agree with you, that whole thing. What struck me about that is how it begins. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, here's the thing. I was thinking, I want to be God's. I want God to say, Carl is mine. You understand? Like, I want to be possessed by, I want him to possess me. I, 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 want, I want to be his. Because it makes sense that the greater would possess the lesser. It makes sense that the stronger would possess the weaker. It makes sense that the bigger would possess the smaller. It makes sense that God would claim me because of his mercy. The greater possessing the lesser. But when I read Psalm 23, and what struck me was not that the greater possesses the lesser, but that the lesser can possess the greater. The Lord is my shepherd. That I can possess him. That amazes me. See, Psalm to the beginning of Psalm 23 is not, the power of it is not primarily about the ability of the shepherd who makes me lie down in green pastures who restores my soul. The primary power of the beginning of Psalm 23 is the possession of the shepherd. That I can possess God, not in an ownership way, don't get me wrong, but that he is mine. See, it's mercy that the greater would possess the lesser, would have mercy on someone like me and would choose me. But it's the incredible grace of God that would allow me to possess him as mine. And what's true about God is true about his kingdom. I want to be a part of God's kingdom. 
I want to be a part of his, his rule and reign. But the amazing thing to me is that he's given me as a follower of Jesus the ability to possess the kingdom of God. The Bible says all the time in the Gospels when Jesus is talking to the people as they walk to him that the kingdom of God has come upon. At this point, y'all don't look as impressed with that as what I was. <laughs> to me, this stuff... It, You, you, you know how much I agonize over the desire that somebody would just their mind to by what I read in a Bible. It's a lot of years ago, uh, me and my family were up in the mountains, just walking, doing little, little hikes through the mountains and we were in this place up in the hills where we were going to cross and have to, have to walk across some streams and little rivers and whatnot. Uh, and we had warned our boys. They were young. Joe was in elementary school, and my little ones were, were really little. Um, and we had warned them about moving through streams and little rivers and how the current was fast and you got to be careful. And they would never be alone. We would always be with them. But eventually they had to cross, we had to cross a stream. And one of my three sons was very, very scared because of the warnings we had given him. I was with him, but he was very scared about what was in front of him. And I chose I wasn't going to hold his hand. And I told him, I'm not going to physically hold your hand. You got to know that I am with you because I wanted my son to learn to trust me. You daddies understand? You mamas understand? Yep. <laughs> You're like, no, I'd hold his hand and help him across. <laughs> That's just mean. I wasn't going to put him in a position of danger. But this son refused to move. See, I understood his fear. But he did not trust that my presence was enough. <coughs> He didn't understand that. And I was trying to enable him to do more than he thought himself capable of. With the assurance of my presence, should have been enough. Because I knew better. I remember uh, my dad teaching me the same thing. I remember being a little boy and being on the roof of our house. And if you just stop for a moment, you have to ask, what were you doing on the roof of your <laughs> I don't remember how I got there. I don't remember why I was there. I don't remember what, like, how I, like, I, I just remember being on the roof. Now, it wasn't a tall roof, and back in the day, they kind of sloped down real low. But I remember being on the edge of the roof, and my daddy being below me. And I remember my daddy's words just jumped down to me. I'll catch you. I don't remember how I got there. I don't remember why I was there. I don't, I don't know what my dad was thinking. He didn't seem concerned, though. All I know is I'm on the edge. And I'm scared because life is scary on the edge. And I knew I had a daddy below me who was asking me to trust him. And I knew I had a daddy below me that is saying, if I ask you to jump, I am enabled to catch you. 
And I did, and he did. Here's what I know. Jesus does not ask much of those who do not follow him, but Jesus does ask much of those who do. Why would God ask so much of those of us who Why would he just make life easy? Why wouldn't he trust that we trust him and just make stuff go smoothly? Perhaps God asks greatly of those who choose to follow for a greater purpose than just simply making us good people. Mark chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's what the Bible says. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply uh, distressed. At their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, which those two groups hated each other, worked with each other on how they might kill Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand right up front. There are some people around your life, watching your life, who are simply looking to find fault with you. No matter how good you are, no matter how innocent you are, there are some people around your life, and, and in Jesus' day, there were some people in church, though he was doing everything right, was just looking for error. Here's the, here, here's the again, a little freebie right up front here. I just want to encourage you with this little tidbit right here. This is something good to live by. Don't look for fault in others. Find a good fruit in them. You want to look for fault in others, you're going to find something. Just look for the good fruit in others. Don't highlight other people's failure. Highlight their favor. I don't remember where I heard this, but someone said that. You know what a friend, the definition of a friend? The definition of a friend is someone who walks behind your back saying good things about you. Let me ask you this question about this man with a shriveled hand that Jesus healed. Who asked him to be healed? Y- y'all read it with me. <laughs> who asked for him to be healed? When I read the Bible, are y'all paying attention? You, you know the answer. Don't be afraid to say it. Who asked Jesus, please heal this guy? Nobody. That's the right answer. Nobody asked him to be healed. This is the only place in Mark where Jesus heals someone without being asked. Why? Because he's, he's showing the intentionality of bringing the kingdom of God into the world. He said, this is why I've came. This is why I have come. Because we all know that in this world we have trouble. And we all know that the kingdom of the dominion of this world is evil and bad and dark, right? We all know that. And he says, I want you to understand that I am being intentional about poking through the kingdom of God in the midst of your lives. You don't got to ask me. This is why I'm here. And so in response to this, Jesus asks a very typical rabbinical debate question, which is lawful? He says, which is lawful? 
to do good or to do evil, which is lawful to save life or to kill. Because so, Jesus knew that the rabbis, they permitted saving life on the Sabbath. It wasn't an issue that could you save a life on the Sabbath. And that's when this was taking place. But, but the issue was, is a shriveled hand saving a life? So, so perhaps one of two things is going on here. Perhaps in Jesus on the Sabbath healing this man. Perhaps Jesus is making a point about suffering and evil and addressing the callousness of their hearts and their attitude toward those who are suffering. Just consider the irony. These rabbis, these, these, these Pharisees, they're accusing Jesus of evil because he healed on the Sabbath while they plot his murder on the Sabbath. Hey, do, do, do you realize how screwed up religion makes some people? Yes. <laughs> do you ever notice this about that? It's... So, so, so maybe Jesus is just exposing their callous hearts. Maybe there's another reason. Maybe the shriveled hand, the, the word shriveled in the Greek means dead or dried up. So in the heat of the valley, go out to the side, cut off a branch, look at it a week later. That's what this hand was like. It was just dried up and dead. And maybe that shriveled hand meant this man could not properly work and provide. So perhaps Jesus is concerned about suffering because suffering is an outgrowth of the dominion of the devil. And healing is an outgrowth of the dominion of the kingdom of God. And so maybe he is concerned about people suffering because it's an outgrowth of the dominion of the evil one. And he wants to say, no, 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 my dominion, my kingdom is greater than that one. And so every once in a while, I'm going to peel back heaven and show you how great my dominion is. I want you to notice something. This man with a shriveled hand, Jesus asked him, Stretch out your shriveled hand. Stretch out that thing that is not able to be stretched out. Stretch out that thing that is dead, withered, and dried. How are you going to stretch out something that won't stretch? It doesn't work. Did you notice that? But Jesus says, stretch it out. How? Here's the problem. Most of us wait until we're healed in order to try to stretch out. Here's what I know. Don't miss this. It's all through the Bible. The command came with an enablement. All through the Bible, the command always comes with an enablement. Because Jesus commanded it, Jesus therefore enabled it. Here's the thing we have to understand. We have the ability after the obedience, not before. This is so profound. With every command of God comes the enablement of God so that we are without excuse. Whatever God has asked of us, he has also therefore enabled us 
Don't say, this is too hard. I cannot. If God has asked it, he has therefore enabled it. But we'll never know that we have the ability till after we've been obedient. And we won't know it before. Experientially, we should know it theoretically because we know in our minds that with the command comes the enable. So I know ahead of time that I can, but I don't know experientially until experientially I do. Does this make sense? As my daddy used to say, don't make me come back down there again. <laughs> Here's what we got to get. God's commandments are God's enablements. God's commandments are God's enablements. The lesson all through the Bible that whatever God asks people to do, he then enables them to do. God never asks anybody to do something he doesn't first enable them to do, but they don't know that they are able to do it until they actually do it. With a crippled man on the bed, on the mat, on the pool of salome, Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk. Did you realize Jesus never even offered him a hand up? Jesus never even helped the old poor fellow. He said, you're crippled, I know it, get your mat and walk. And guess what happened? In the command was the enablement. Could he walk before the command? No. Could he walk after the command? Absolutely. Why? Because in the command was the enablement. Same thing with the disciples who had no food. Got to feed thousands and thousands of people. Jesus just said, you feed them. How am I going to do that? Again, I don't got no food. But with the command to feed them comes the enablement to feed them. Do you understand? Yes. Same thing with Jesus sent out the 12 and then sent out the 72. He said, you go and preach and heal. Well, how are we going to do that? I've never done that before. Because I've commanded you to do it. Because I've commanded you to do it. You are then enabled to do it. See, God's commandments are therefore then God's enablements. So with God's ask comes God's ability. Whatever it is he has asked of his people, he has therefore endowed them with the ability, not because of who we are, but because of his incredible grace. So perhaps God has asked much of his people because he wants us to be capable of much. Perhaps God has asked much of his people because he wants to show his dominion to the world. His rule and his reign as heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus asked much of his followers because God, Jesus was inaugurating the kingdom of God into the world. What, he was taking back people and authority that had been sacrificed and handed over from Adam to the devil. And now in G, the person of Jesus, God was now inbreaking again the dominion of the kingdom of God. All of Jesus' miracles and all the miracles of the early church after Jesus' ascension was intended to prove that the kingdom of God had come on his people. Jesus says over and over and over, when you see these things happen, you will know that the kingdom of God has come on you. Now, it hasn't come in its fullness yet. Its fullness is still to come when Jesus comes back again. But it is poking its head through every now and then. So we wait in this weird, strange tension, in this dichotomy between the current kingdom that is evil and of the devil and the coming kingdom that is the kingdom of God and the dominion of God. And we live in this tension that it has already come in the person of Jesus. And he's transferred that to his people, but while we live in this other realm. But he asks us every once in a while, step into my kingdom. So God is reestablishing the kingdom of God in the world 
through the life and the activity of Jesus. And then Jesus transfers the authority of the kingdom of God to his followers. And you see that all through the book of Mark. So to understand, to understand what's going on here, we have to grasp this thing called the eschatological context. Everybody say eschatological. eschatological. You want to know what it means? Let me tell you what it means. So we got we to place this whole thing in what's known as the eschatological context. And this is what it means. The eschatological context is the end time stuff. It's the final destiny of the kingdom of God in the world. We have to understand all this stuff that Jesus does through the lens of the final destiny of the kingdom of God in the world. There will come a day when the kingdom of God in its fullness reigns on the world. And so all of these acts of Jesus point to, they're glimpses of the kingdom of God and its reign in the world. The miracles of Jesus revealed the inbreaking of the kingdom of God and the restoration of creation. Now, I realize that a lot of people in church, we believe that Jesus came so I could be saved. And, and that's part of it, certainly, without a doubt. Like I got a relationship with God. I can live in heaven, and that's fantastic. But, but we have to understand that all through Matthew, all through Mark, all through Luke, all through John, what Jesus talks about is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, because that is the totality of fullness of God's reign, involves and includes salvation. Salvation without God's rule means nothing. And so one of the things that Jesus is trying to convey to us is the reality of this kingdom, that it has come in the person of Jesus. And so in the defeat of disease and the defeat of the devil is Jesus' work of redemption. So in the New Testament, any time was the right time for healing and forgiveness. And we see shadows of this kingdom break through all in the Bible. And occasionally in our lives, this kingdom that in one day we will fully live in. See, we live in the realm of the evil one right now, but we live under the reign of God. And one day the reign will take over the realm. But every once in a while we get to see glimpses of it. And that's why Jesus says this just a little further down in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 27. Jesus says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder a strong man. We understand that. Yeah, you can't break into someone's house when the, when, when, when the guy's home and he's bigger. You just can't break in and just take whatever you want of his possession. He's going to fight you and he'll probably win. And so Jesus is saying, likewise, there's a strong man who has taken possession of my people and my territory. And Jesus said, I have broken in. I have entered the strong man's house, the evil one. I have bound him up so that I can now carry back in possession what he thought he owned, people and territory. This is the kingdom of God. So we got to ask this question. How and when does the kingdom of God break into this world? How does that happen? Would you agree with me that the kingdom of God breaks into this world when we bring justice to places of injustice. Would you say that's a part of the God's kingdom? Would you agree with me? Good, you're right. Would you agree with me that, that part of the kingdom of God breaks into this world when we love people and pray for our enemies? Isn't that part of the kingdom? Yeah. Would you agree with me that the part of the kingdom of God breaks into this world when we share the good news of Jesus with our huddle? 
And they follow him, wouldn't you say that that's in breaking of the kingdom of God? Yeah? Would you agree with me that, that, that in breaking, when the kingdom of God breaks into this world, shows up when we obey God and like tithe? Yeah? You going to agree with me on that one too? See, this, this, is where, this is where some of y'all are like, okay, no, 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 don't meddle. Don't meddle. Because remember when we all agreed that the commands of God are the enablements of God? And remember how so many of us think, well, when God gives me some money, maybe I'll try tithing, but he hasn't given me enough money to tithe yet. But what do we know? The command is the? But now, 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 listen now. If the Bible was true in this area, it's got to be true in this area. And so if we're like, oh, yeah, praise Jesus. No, his command means his neighbor, but not about money. <laughs> you understand? Yes. Can, can I just press a little bit more? That, that, what, doesn't the kingdom of God break into this world in healing? Yes. Not so vulgar with that one, huh? See, here's the, here's the problem. We don't see that very often, so we think, well, maybe not that. So let me just ask, which of God's commands are we supposed to obey? Which of God's commands come with the enablement to do? Pay attention to this. Pay attention. Reading the Bible is dangerous. I was talking with some young potential pastors and planters the other day, and I told them, the most dangerous thing you can do is teach and preach the Bible. It's a dangerous book. Why is it so dangerous? One, because the devil does not want people to know it, to trust it, nor to live it. But the Bible says that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can sing and you can serve all you want, but faith comes by hearing the word of God. So the most dangerous thing you could do is read, study, and preach it. And I also know it's dangerous because it threatens a lot of churches and traditions. It makes religious people really uncomfortable. So, 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 so here you go now. I realize what time it is. I'm not going to even ask permission to keep going. I'm going to finish this one out. Watch this. Start doing what God has commanded, and you'll be able to do what God has commanded. That's what the Bible says. Start doing what God has commanded, you'll be able to do what God has commanded. Now watch this. We don't read the Bible anymore through the lens of all God wants from me. Now we read the Bible through the lens that all God has enabled in me. No longer are his commands, God wants what? Now it's God's commands or he's enabled to what? Everything that God has asked in the Bible is a statement of his enablement in you to do and to perform. No longer do I read the Bible and think, what is God asking? Now I read the Bible and think, can you imagine what he has enabled me to do? By his grace. So the question is this. You ready? How much of the kingdom of God do you want to see and be a part of before you get to the location of heaven? How much of the kingdom of God do you want to see break into your world and this world before you get to 
that location. See, one of the primary purposes of Jesus' prayer that he taught his disciples and us to pray, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, so that the inbreaking of the kingdom of God could come through his people. So whatever God says to do comes with an implied promise of the enablement to do. I don't know what God has asked of you. I don't know how you read the Bible. I don't know what you understand God's ask of you is. But what I do know is this. Whatever he has asked of you, he will then also enable you to do. But you will never experience the enablement to do it until you actually do it. So, do it. Now, don't mess up the, the, the process here. Watch this. This is how this all unfolds. We have to seek his presence before we seek his power. We got to seek the presence to be with Jesus before we seek the power of Jesus. This is how I know what the Bible says. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that they might, he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons and other versions of the same thing say heal people. These were the 12 he appointed. Simon uh, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them they gave the name Bonagiris. That means the sons of thunder. That's a pretty freaking awesome nickname right there. It's like a tag team in the WWE, like the old school British bulldog days. The sons of thunder. That's all right right there. And then he, he also called Philip, uh, Andrew, Philip, uh, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. I, did, I doubt that Thomas was going to make that. Uh, James, it's a Bible joke. Uh, never mind. Uh, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. He called all these to him. But I want you to notice the progression of verses three through or 13 through 19. Here's the progression. Don't miss this. Be with Jesus. Be vocal about Jesus. And then you experience the power of Jesus. Don't miss that. We must continually be with Jesus and spend time with him. That's why he called his disciples. He called them to spend time with him. They spent daily time with him, just being in his presence to understand his heart, to understand the kingdom, to understand his agenda. And as they were with him, he said, now be vocal about me. He sent them out to teach and to preach and to proclaim his name. We talked about this last week in Luke 12, 8, when angels are at the ready to assist those who will inherit salvation who are vocal about his name. Don't miss the progression. Spend time with me and then be vocal about me. And after you've spent time with me and know my heart and you've been vocal about me and the angels are coming to your assistance, then you can experience the power of me, but not before. You understand? Yes. So here's the problem. Most of us want others who have been with Jesus and who have talked with him and have angels helping them want to access our relationship with Christ on their behalf. Because they've not spent time. They've not been vocal. And they realize that their access is less than desirable. Because they haven't done the work themselves for the relationship. Don't miss the process. Spend time with, be vocal about, then you experience the power of. The last thing, please be aware. Jesus calls those who don't feel called. Jesus calls those of us who do not feel called. None on that list was top shelf. None on that list was blue chip. There wasn't a scholar in a bunch 
One of those 12 boys worked for the oppressive Roman government. Another one of those 12 boys was a freedom fighter fighting against Rome who probably planned assassinations of government officials. Two of those brothers were emotional hotheads. They should not have been together. They should not have worked together. None of them should have been called. But guess what? God called them. Because Jesus sees who we can become. And because Jesus sees who we can become, he calls us to things and commands of us things so that in obedience we will become the people he created us to be, not by being obedient, but by entering into and being avenues of his kingdom breaking in this world. See, he just doesn't look at who we've been. He knows that our history doesn't determine our destiny. And so he calls us to things, knowing he has enabled us to do those things. When I was growing up, my mama had a poster in our house. And I memorized it when I was a little boy, and I've always remembered I want to share it with you. God doesn't care about your ability or your inability. God just cares about your availability. He's just looking for someone to be available. He's just looking for someone who will believe that his commands are his enablements. He's just looking for someone who will be available. To say, God, what you have commanded of me, I know you have enabled in me. Because you've enabled it in me, I'm going to do it. See, God sees the potential of what his grace can do through an available life. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves. The question we've got to ask ourselves. Am I the one? Am I the one? Who is available for all that God wants to do in the world? Am I the one? Am I the one that will believe in faith that God has enabled me to do everything he's commanded me to do? Will I be the one? Will I be the one who will believe and trust that God's commandments are God's enablements? This so burdens my heart for us. I gotta ask, if God wants to invade this evil kingdom and dominion that is over our world, if God wants to invade the dark evil kingdom of the evil and with the kingdom of God, if God wants his dominion to be exercised over people and territory that can be seen in the world if God wants to break into our experience with the kingdom of God. I gotta ask, through whom is it supposed to come? If not you, who? If not us, who? If not now, when? The kingdom of God is so powerful and so profound. And it reigns over the kingdom of the evil one. Not in totality, we'll get there one day, but in glimpses and signs. And Jesus has transferred that authority to his people so that the world may know that there is a kingdom 
and it will rain. And so we pray, God, awaken us to your kingdom. Pray this with, God, awaken us to your kingdom. Oh, God, awaken us to your desire. Oh, God, awaken us who have been asleep. Oh, God, awaken the religious to the kingdom and dominion of the Father. Oh, God, awaken us to come alive. Your kingdom is greater than the kingdom of this world. Your dominion is greater than the dominion of the evil one. Because, God, you are alive. Make us alive. Awaken us. 